0: Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is the epic narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Okay, okay, okay. I know the last one went long. Uh, last one lo- went long. Really glad you guys stuck with it uh, all the way through. <laughs> I appreciate everybody uh, who listens, I really do. Uh, it, it, I just do. I'm I'm saying that by faith, by the way. (laughs) I'm saying it by faith because I'm recording all these so far in advance. We literally haven't even, at this point, haven't even launched the podcast yet. But I'm believing. I'm believing on faith. Somebody's out there. Somebody's listening. And please write me. (laughs) Send me an email. Actually, we'll know for sure if somebody's listening at this point uh, because... If you guys send me emails, you'll already know I interact with those questions or comments, or I expand thoughts uh, or or ideas that I present. Because I do I do know sometimes I drop I drop stuff that I believe, or I drop, you know, I try to give maybe a a brief explanation of where my uh, my uh, paradigm comes from on the goodness of God. And there you know some people need more and some, honestly, I know it's offensive. I do know it's offensive. It's, it's scary, but if nothing else, I hope I want to be provocative in those concepts of God's goodness. In other words, I want to provoke conversation and provoke the questions like to say to yourself, what if, what, what if he really is that good? What if, what if, okay, no, stop. If I, Oh, so I'm kind of winging this one just for what it's worth. I, uh, I, I just was captured again in telling the story of the ark coming into the city. It's, it is not covered in 2 Samuel, so we're going to waylay into Chronicles to see what David had prepared for the ark. He prepared a place for the ark to go. He did not just put up a tent outside of his house. Okay. He prepared a, a tent. Yes. Another word for it is tabernacle. But it's not, it wasn't just this little thing. It was like a legit, it was big. It was a big tent because David, David oh, let me, let, let me just tell you. Uh, so David starts, um, this remember now this started years ago when david made a vow right david makes a vow to god he says uh he says i will prepare a place a dwelling place for god that vow is something that everybody who knew david knew david had made that vow they knew that preparing a place for for god to dwell now it doesn't mean that that's the only place god shows up he means it's a place where God is honored. it's a it's a temple. it's a it's a it's a place where where extravagant expressions of love for God is uh, is presented to him like publicly and david David made a vow I'm going to do this and he says in in various forms, like I'm not going to rest until You have this place, God. And it doesn't mean he's never going to sleep. It just means I don't want to be more comfortable than where you're you're being honored. So he prepares a place for this. And it's, it's in some ways, by the time you add it all together, David has laid aside close to $100 billion worth of material for the temple to be built but he also invests heavily in this tabernacle this tent this tent that will be honor a place of honor for God now what he sets up in the tabernacle around the ark of the or around the ark of God is this if you don't think he got this these ideas from heaven like this is what's really important i think to pick up on David set up 24-7 worship, okay? He set up 24-7 worship. It's, it's, It's a big deal. No other worship set up on the planet looks like David's. Now, when we see what David sets up, it looks like what's described by John in the book of Revelation. Catch that. It looks like what John saw when John went to heaven in the book of Revelation, Revelation four, Revelation five, where where he sees you know living creatures that do not rest day or night singing out holy, 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 living creatures, the twenty four elders singing new songs to the Lord. Like David went to heaven as well. That's that's I I I know. I know for some of you that's just really far-fetched, and Bob, you're out of your mind, but look at what he set up. He didn't get that idea out of the blue. He got the idea for what he set up because of where he's been. He saw it, and what he saw in heaven, he brought to earth. He brought heaven to earth. That's not just a New Testament concept. It's not just the part of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. This is the heartbeat of God. I want heaven on earth. I want things done on earth like they're done in heaven. I want people to live in a place of hope and joy and peace. This is what is in heaven. This is what I want on earth. David got that. David understood that. David David got a picture of it and he's like, I'm going to do this. He makes his vow. I'm gonna set up for you on earth what is here in heaven? A dwelling place, a place where you will be honored 24-7. So this is a big deal. They brought the ark and they set it up in the midst of what? The tabernacle that David erected for it. This is from First Chronicles. Basically, I'm drawing from First Chronicles 15 and 16. A lot of details written by the chronicler. <laughs> More detail than what was written uh, in First Samuel. They set it up in the tabernacle. He appointed Levites, singers and musicians to minister before the ark, to praise the Lord, to minister before the ark regularly, every day's work required. That phrase, as every day's work required, means that they were provided for financially. A day's work, whatever that required. This was the first time, first time, that That a worship was established as a full time job. It was literally a governmental position to be on the worship team at their tabernacle. And he didn't just set it up for like a little thing, right? He set it up to be a full time occupation 24 7. Now, if you're gonna do that, you can't have the same group of people. You gotta have more than two or three worship teams. You gotta have a ton of them. And David knew this. He didn't want this is a, <laughs> he didn't want to get by with worship. He wanted it extravagant. He wanted it to be ridiculous. Ridiculous. Sorry, that's I think that's from the nineties. That's like it's probably a really bad song. I just remember I just remembered somebody singing it like that. It might have been the early two. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Bob. Bob, I know. I know. The engineer in my head. <laughs> David David has the Levites prepared, right? He brings in the ark, sets in them. He appointed Levites. These are, the, these are the tribes, the tribe that was set aside by God. Okay, not that they were special. God picked a a tribe and said, "This tribe is going to be a tribe that is going to be dedicated uh, to the service of Me, to the you know, to the building of the tabernacle." Somebody had to do all the work. This started in the days of Moses and during the Exodus, like to carry all the materials for the tabernacle. If you, oh my word, when we when we do the the book of Exodus, sweet Lord. We're going to do Genesis first. I can't imagine doing Genesis in a year, but maybe we'll get it done in a year. I don't know. But anyways, you'll just see. It's no easy task. The Levites were designed for that. Uh, David came in. He blessed the people, right? He blessed the people with, a, uh, with with words, prophetic words of encouragement. He blessed God with a song. He, he wrote songs. He knew how to do this. He knew what it looked like in heaven. He wanted it that way on earth. The logistics alone. Okay, so it says in, in Chronicles. Sorry, just banged the desk. It says in, in Chronicles that he had 4,000 musicians, uh, 288 singers. That's 12 singers uh, for, you know, 20 twelve times twenty four, two hundred and eighty eight. four thousand gatekeepers. so he was he was paying ten thousand people to facilitate worships worship services and offerings to the Lord. Now musicians were musicians. Gatekeepers, they would have been the people that did a lot of the practical things. they would have emceed. They would have uh, helped people with the, you know, the entrance and the exit. Uh, They would have facilitated making sure, uh, you know, people got seated. People had room to dance. The flaggers had room to flag uh, all that kind of stuff. Banners weren't too tall to rip. You know, we're going to rip the tent like whatever they were. They were the gatekeepers. People had prophetic words. uh, They would, you know, they maybe maybe they listened to them. That's what gatekeepers did. Four thousand of them. They were. They were. I mean, that's. They had to help bands transition, carry out instruments, carry in instruments, rearrange things, get chairs, get get tables, get music stands. They had to help help with uh you know make sure there was water for them because they'd overheat. They had to probably always make sure that there was food available because you needed like a green room going on because. Bands would show up early. Bands would would stay late because they were in a moment. Uh, Gatekeepers were busy people. They had, they had 288 singers. So singers sing. They had to make sure that they were happy. They had to make sure that they had the right kind of tea, that their throat was hurt if they were sick. They had to get replacements for them. They would, they would have to find... Uh, <laughs> like uh like any artist they had to make sure they were there on time because artists tend not to be right i i love worship i love worshipers i love musicians i love artists i truly do but man i also love to start a service on time i cannot i i can i i can tell you hundreds and hundreds of services I have stood at the front of stages, and I have stared down a worship team that just needs one more practice. Can we just cover this one second? Okay, from the chorus to the bridge, just one more time, guys, one more time. Let's make sure we—and I'm just staring at them because it's already time to start the service. You can't still be practicing. If you need practice, practice somewhere else. Practice earlier. Well, we can't because, you know, they work, and it's a minute—deep, dip, deep, dip, 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 dip. And I think about these gatekeepers, and I just think, God bless them. God bless their hearts. They had to keep 4,000 musicians and 288 singers on time. Now, I will admit, I did not always have heaven's perspective on these singers and these musicians, and I often offended them, and I was rude and unkind, and I've had to do a number of apologies, and I've actually gotten way better, but I'm also way older but it was it's it honestly i had some pretty not not pretty moments with worship leaders like just before worship and i think about what i did to their spirits before they were supposed to lead us in worship like i honestly i was a i was an absolute uh, uh, can i say i don't know what i i was not an i was a you could curse me and a curse, like you could use a bad word and it would be appropriate because that's what I was. I was, you know, cause I was the man in charge of the programming or I was, I was, you know, well, I was never really the pastor, well, I was toward the end, but anyways, doesn't matter. I was usually the youth pastor or the associate pastor, but either way, I was in charge of that, in charge of getting something done on time, starting on time. And these guys would stand around or some of them, some, you know, musicians would stand there and they'd be like, well, I, you know, I don't like playing if nobody's here. I want to wait till look, you know, till the sanctuary is full. And I, I understand that I do. I don't like preaching to an empty sanctuary, but you got to know people, right? People don't show up. If they don't start on time, they won't come on time. Like it's just that simple. If you keep waiting, waiting for everyone to show up, it, it'll take about three weeks and you'll be starting 10 to 15 minutes later. And then you keep waiting because now they now everyone knows, well, we don't actually start it. We don't start 11. We start 1115. No, no, no. we're supposed to start 11. Well, yeah, but the music doesn't start till 1115 and then it'll be 1120 and then it's 1130. And then all of a sudden, you know, you need these manipulative rude announcements because you're telling all the people. Like, we need to start on time, people. You need to get here on time, people. And I always say, just start. And they'll show up. If they want it, they'll be there. But that's just me. What do I know? <laughs> I do have I know. You could tell that, that was like that was like a hard thing, right? Yeah, you're probably listening going, ooh, Bob sounds a little nasty. Oh, Bob was nasty. Trust me. I was nasty. Like I said, I'm way better now. I smile, I chuckle, I laugh. I still try to start on time. And I've had enough. I have enough relationship with the worship leaders that they know I'm trying to start on time. But if for some reason they desperately can't start on time, I'm not going to I'm not going to blow up their world and say horrible things in order to manipulate them so that they know that they should feel shame and embarrassment and and uh humiliation because those are tools of the enemy and i was using the tools of the enemy to quote serve god and you can't do both you can't you can't serve two masters you can't do both so these gatekeepers had to be people of of amazing uh logistical mindsets whether they wrote it down or not they knew what had to happen they helped people get it to get it there Four thousand musicians. And you know you know that there were a couple drummers that were want, every band wanted. Every band wanted that drummer. They had a drummer, but they kind of hoped that their drummer wasn't feeling well so that they could ask that the other, like the main drummer. Those drummers, the ones that everybody wanted, literally could have played 24 hours a day because everybody wanted that drummer. Or the bass player, right? Bass player, at first you just want one. We just need someone to play bass. This is all you need. You know, four chords, here, strum this or or pluck this. Everything's good. But then you listen to a bass player and you're like, oh, my God, we need that guy on the team. Well, what are we going to do with Mac? I don't know. I don't care. I don't care. We need to get – he just started coming to church. He's a real bass player. We need him in our band. Yeah, but what about Mac? It doesn't matter. We need a real bass player. Listen to him. I'm telling you, this – Oh, God bless those gatekeepers. 4,000 of them. (laughs) It's almost like they had one for every musician. Well, technically they did, but like (laughs) every musician had like their own personal assistant. Come on, get out of bed. Come on. You got the 1 a.m. shift. Come on. No, no, come on. No, here's a drink. Here's some water. Yep. Here's some coffee or whatever their equivalent of coffee was. Come on. There you go. No, I already put it out there. You're, It's all set. All you got to do is play. <laughs> what do you mean you're up? No, you can't. When you have the 1 a.m. shift, how many times I got to tell you? You can't go to bed at 10, 10 p.m. when you have the 1 a.m. shift. Come on. You're killing me. Come on. Get up. Get up. All right. Enough of your imagination, Bob. Move on with the story. Well, that is part of the story, okay? I I, I know. I'm talking to the engineer in my head. It is part of the story. The logistics of 24-7 worship with 8,000 musicians, gatekeepers, and another almost 300 uh, singers, all paid, all believing they are the next best thing, that they are the reincarnation of David. Like, David's the man, right? David set the standard. David walks (laughs) – can you imagine – Right, you're on the team. You're playing away, and it's uh, it's 4 a.m. and David's up early, or maybe David's just up, and he decides to go worship for an hour. He just shows up in the tabernacle. Right, you're playing. It's you've been playing since 1 a.m. You're like whatever, whatever. 3 a.m., whatever, whatever. And all of a sudden, David walks in. You're like, oh dang. All right, let's go, guys. Break it tight. Make it tight. Come on. And one, two, one, two, three. And everybody's playing like it's singing their hearts out. Why? David's in the tent. David's in the tent. Everyone wants to be recognized. Everybody wants to be connected. Oh, and then, or maybe in the afternoon or maybe after dinner. Like whenever David showed up at the tent, this had to be a big deal. And David, I'm sure, is there because, man, it's just, when you're at a place where, where the people, whether they're paid or not, when you're at a place where people are honoring God, and, and flowing out of the presence of God within them. There is something powerful. It's like all the streams coming together. It becomes a bigger... It becomes a brook. And then it becomes a river. And then it becomes a, like a mighty rushing river. Like the more people involved, the more intense it becomes. It's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. And what David set up was, was so crazy amazing and so much like heaven that every time every time there was revival in the land every time there was revival in the land it was noted that they had set they they had re-established the worship of David and it doesn't mean that they started singing the psalms again but with Hezekiah uh, Solomon uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, Je- 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 Jehidid, Joash. Um, uh, I already said Hezekiah, right? Yeah, Hezekiah did it. Josiah did. It. Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. Whenever that those guys are mentioned, it's mentioned that they, you know, that they brought back or reestablished, revived again. The, the worship of David. He set the standard. Every revival in Israel's future was marked as to whether or not they restored the worship of David. That's when you knew the nation had returned to where it was supposed to be. It's it's significant what he did. It's huge what he did. Now, just, just uh, you know, technically, there were, there were, you know, twelve tribes of Israel, uh, but then Levi was was designed. They kind of lived amongst everybody because they were designed to serve all the tribes. And then you had the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. So technically, now there are thirteen tribes of Israel when when those two guys came in. But because Levi, the the Levites kind of spread themselves out. It's, it's really back down to 12, but anyways, just so you, you know, some people like to know that stuff, because it's like, well, how come uh, Ephraim isn't mentioned, or how come, you know, it was 13, yeah, okay, fine, like, that's fine, it's, you're not, you're not disproving the Bible, uh, Some it's usually the people who like to bring it up, uh, it's fine, and that's what I want to talk about, like the translation, you get inspired word of God, yes. Inerrant, it's where you trip you trip yourself up on stuff like that because now you need an answer. And that's the answer, and it's not a big deal. So he appointed the singers. He appointed the musicians. Uh, he, he made a tent big enough for all of that to happen. He organized this day and night worship, which, again, logistically was nuts. Uh, he brings the ark into the... Into the uh, into the city, he calls for all the and First Chronicles 15 he calls for all the leadership to sanctify themselves. So it says David called Zadok. <laughs> I have a grandson named Zadok. He's Zadok's an awesome character. You know, he's he's a, remember we picked him up in in the wilderness, right? He's still with David. Uh, and abathar the priest this is again very rare but there's two high priests they got along great i have a feeling these two guys were were really awesome to hang out with if you get them both in the same room this like i picture them telling stories like the epic narratives that they would recite and then also their their uh their take on it their insights for on it their their antidotes about the people that they knew and things that they knew about them. Oh, man. Those two guys had to be off the charts. Amazing. Uh, but anyways, um, sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, for that you may bring up the ark to the place that I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time. God broke out against us again he gives God credit for the death but uh and we did not consult him about the proper order that's what I'm talking about the first time he went up David was was just w- incredibly optimistic like I'm I get that I've been that optimistic where you just you're just you're just moving forward everything's in your favor and David's like we didn't consult God we didn't sanctify ourselves we didn't even have the levites there like we just went up and grabbed the ark threw it on a cart and tried to run it home like this. I don't know. I don't even know what I was thinking. What were any of us thinking? We need to do it right. So they, they put everything together. They put everything in the proper order. They bring everything down. I know I'm kind of winging it uh, today, so I'm sorry if I'm repetitive, but all that's going on. Everybody's. uh, Oh, sorry. I did want to cover this. Uh, I saw this list. Um, And again, in chapter 15, here it is, uh, the the list of instruments, right? Uh, We had cymbals, strings, harps, trumpets. Uh, This had never been done before. Then uh, it says, David spoke to the leaders and the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers, accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals. David and the elders and top military leaders brought the ark down from the house of Obed-Edom, and they brought it down with joy. He, David didn't bring it into his house, right? He brought it to a special place. So David writes a psalm in uh in first chronicles sixteen. He writes a psalm and he gives a song to uh Asaph. Asaf? Asaph. Asaf. Asaf. I don't know. I just, I just, I just think that's significant. He left, he, he left, uh, Asaf was basically in charge of every, of all, of all things, right? He was like the worship pastor, the director of all 10,000 people. David writes the psalm and he gives it to him. He gives the psalm to the head worship leader to play at the dedication of the tabernacle. When I first read that, I I, I thought, well, no pressure there, right? David, hello, king, whatever, Uh, military ruler, yep, Uh, worshiper, yes, someone who communes with God, has been to heaven, hello, hello, hello. Oh, listen, I wrote a little, I wrote a song that I'd like you to play at the, at the dedication. Now, as a musician you know that the lead guy has already thought this through he's probably already put together several uh several playlists and he's rearranged them a few times and he's trying to set the mood and set the atmosphere you know we're gonna we're gonna do this with joy so everything's gonna be like we're gonna have nice arcs of dynamics within the song and then prophetic moments outside the song and then we got the dancers and we got the flaggers and we got the trumpets and we're like he's working all these angles and David comes in and says, here, I wrote something. I'd like you to play it at the dedication. That's pretty huge. It's huge to see the kind of trust that David had in people who were in charge of things. That's that's pretty awesome. He trusted his leadership to carry out the revelation that he received. That's pretty That's pretty uh, difficult. It's difficult for some leaders to do that because they receive a revelation, they receive direction from the Lord, and their first thought is, "I I got to make this happen," because if it doesn't happen right, then I've screwed it up. They feel pressure. Now, sometimes it's they they want to they want to do it because they don't think the person that's in charge could ever do something as good as they can. And at some level, that means that they're not doing a good job at recruiting people. They're putting people in charge of things that that need leadership and can't be trusted. So now a big a big moment like this comes up, and and the leader of all things says, okay, I, I, I have to do everything because the people under me can't actually do it under this kind of stress or with this kind of uh, expectation of perfection. I need it done right, and I'm going to have to do it all. That's That, to me, shows poor leadership. It means you're putting people in positions of leadership that shouldn't be there So that so that you don't have any competition. You're putting people in leadership not out of desperation but out of protection. You want to protect your leadership role. You want to make sure – you're not questioned. You want to make sure you're the most well-loved, well-liked, appreciated person on the staff. David hands over this psalm that he wrote, and he and when he hands it over, he says, "You know, can you play this? Uh, I wrote this. Can you play it at the at the dedication?" He lets he lets this this leader. I'd say his name again, Ash Ashaf He says basically, take this and and run with it take my revelation that i got from heaven and run with this make this make this amazing i trust you i trust you i trust you can you imagine how david how david felt the first time he heard it brings the ark in remember everybody's dancing there's a big street party going on all the leaders are are sanctified they're in the tabernacle there's probably thousands of people in the tabernacle We're all listening to music, and and this guy breaks out a psalm that was written by David. Yes, David expected work to be done. He expected standards to be met. Absolutely. It set a tone for the nation. But the tone for the nation was that all leaders would would hit their standards and would do work. All leaders would be people of worship. His government was paying 10,000 people to work at worship. Because for the government of heaven, everything centers around the presence of God. God's presence permeates everything in heaven. And if we're going to have heaven on earth, then God's presence needs to permeate everything we do here on earth. David understood this. David understood it and he's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to set the standard. We're going to set the standard and everything's going to run around the presence of God. We're going to put the tabernacle up right right next to the palace so that people understand our government and our government officials are expected to be people of worship. Because we're expected to be in the presence of God. To find the wisdom and creativity and hope that's needed to run this nation. To set up contracts. To set up covenants. To set up trade agreements. To set up peace deals. My military leaders are expected to walk by the places of worship. And expected to go in and visit. Because we need help. We need, we need God there. This was a this was awesome. And Asaph, Asaph, however you say his name, like he was he was the first one in Scripture to be in the full time vocation related to ministering to the Lord with songs. The first one. They had regular requirements, regular standard work standards, regular duties to perform. They weren't just like, hey, play and then disappear. Hey, you're talented. Get up on stage, play these notes, and then go do what you want. And I do understand. I do. It is tiring uh, to be on worship teams, right? A lot of worship teams practice on Sunday morning, which means they're there at whatever, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. They they set up, they tune up, they practice. Then church starts at 10, so they've been there for two hours already, setting things up and playing for probably close to an hour. Now they gotta play for another hour. At least at at our church they play for at least 45 minutes our worship is, which is awesome. And oftentimes, you know, if they look at me and ask if they can do another song, like one hundred percent of the time I always say yes. I don't care if they played for an hour. Like I always want another worship set, worship song. Now, granted, I'm not the senior pastor, so I know ultimately, uh, I do have to kind of take a read on the room and understand that, but my heart is, yes, play another song, but there 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 are those, you know, there are worship leaders. they get done playing, right? They're exhausted. They go to the cafe or they go to the gym where the where the coffee is, or they make their own or they make a you know a run to the local store, they get bagels or or coffees or donuts or egg sandwiches sometimes there's a green room where that stuff is available for the band and the band sits around and there I know that there's value in developing relationally with the band you only see each other oftentimes once a week but there's also value to saying listen we have some standards that we'd like you to keep we have some we have some expectations because you are leading people people look up to you and they say what what they do i want to do where they go i want to go so if they don't go to church i don't want to go to church if all they do is play music then that's all i'm going to do it's i don't listen i'm not i'm not it's it's not an easy line to draw i'm just i just know when david set this up there were standards that were there were standards of expectation that was put on them you don't have 4000 people on stage the whole time these guys spent days often i would imagine without playing and maybe they maybe they went home for a month and came back but there was there was whatever that rhythm was when they were on they were expected to be they were expected to be focused on the presence of god they wrote psalms they uh, the original music that was coming out of this tabernacle was off the charts yeah we get all the psalms of david we also get the psalms of of some of the worship leaders that that he had there but but man they were writing original music all the time and they were asked to play at weddings and and festivals remember the the hebrew calendar every month there was a festival that lasted at least 3 days if not a week and there were every time there was wine and there was dancing involved and these musicians would would be asked to play at those things and they'd be asked to play worship and they would they would do side gigs but i, I don't and i'm not i'm not saying they shouldn't have i'm saying they it's just a natural thing people like Worship leaders, they see them on stage, they want them to be a part of their lives, and if we don't have some semblance of standard and expectation, then what are we telling the people? It's, I don't know, I don't know, and again, I'm not in charge, so I get to just deal with the theory. I'm not in charge of a worship team, I'm not in charge of a church. I help out at church. I mean, I mean, yes, I'm on staff at a church. I am. I'm a I'm a I'm a pastor, family life pastor at Faith Worship Center. I I have my own uh, stuff to worry about. I don't I don't have to worry about the uh, the worship team, and that's fine. That's by design. And our worship team is amazing. But I've been around many who look for opportunities to not be at church. I know churches that pay people to be there, not that that's illegal, wrong, or sinful, but they pay them to be there, and their only expectation is that they play well, which again is nice. I'm glad that they're expected to play well, and I'm glad the church wants music, but it gets messy, and David tried to make it really clear. He was like, this is what we do. Our government, it's going to pay worship leaders because I want a government that's expected to worship. I want governmental leaders to sanctify themselves and be in worship because our government is set around the presence of God. Now, I'm not saying that Christians should take over the, the Capitol building in D.C. I'm not. I don't think we should revolt I think, unfortunately, that a lot of Christians set up a mindset of separation that took us out of the government. A mindset of separation that took us out of education. It took us out of the music world. We set up our own music. We set up our own books. We set up our own movies. We set up our own government. We set up our own uh, standards of education. Our own schools. And then we separated from each other in one denomination after another. And every denomination needed their own school and their own seminary, because there were like three, two or three things that they didn't agree with somebody else on. So now we need a whole new denomination to prove we got it right. Oh, I'm telling you. Separation is just, oh, it's such a tool of the enemy. Such a tool of the enemy. We need to be unified. We need to find ways to stay together. And if that means that you know that you allow coffee in the sanctuary so your worship team members can sit and have coffee while they while they're in with the people, I think that's what you do. And if it means that you allow people to pray that maybe quote don't pray right, they don't say the right words. Well, you let them pray anyways. You figure it out later because it's important for them to know that you love them and that they're part of the family and that the family is can get around even people who don't pray right. We need to be unified. We need to be part of the culture to the point where our standards and our expectation become at least normalized to the point where people are like, well, they're hard workers, you can't take that away from them. Well, they're they got they got pretty creative ideas on how to fix problems. Maybe we should give them a chance. We need to be light in the darkness. David's setting up a nation to be a light amongst the nations. And he knew that the key for that to happen was the presence of God. And that's what he set up the tabernacle to do. To center his government on the presence of God. To be a nation that becomes a light amongst um, amongst dark nations. It's it's pretty it's pretty impressive. And yes, I know David's not perfect. I know Israel isn't perfect. I know things fall apart quickly. I get it. But the principles there and that standard had been set. And it's a good standard. And the principles are ones that we should we should look to emulate in whatever we do. All right. That's enough for me today. (laughs) I hope you guys are having a good time. I promise we'll be back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 next time on the Epic Narrative Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.